want to talk about identity, and I was praying out, you got like, just God, give me a fresh revelation of how to even minister on identity. I feel like it's something that we minister a lot in the church, but then I also feel like it's something that we struggle with a lot in the church is who am I in Christ? Who really am I? Who did he create me to be? How do I walk through life? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to accomplish? And I was praying today, and I felt like God dropped this word in my heart that said, we can either be a what Christian or we can either be a who Christian. And so I wanna walk through tonight, we're gonna walk through 10 characteristics of a what Christian and 10 characteristics of a who Christian. And as I was studying, a what Christian will live their lives based on what God is or isn't doing and we'll live our lives based on what we are doing to either please God, what we are doing to please people and what we do to honor God. It's, it's all the what factor, what God is or isn't doing and what we are or are not doing. And it's all based on action. It's all based on, on what is, what we can see happening around us. That is a what Christian. Whereas on the opposite, a who Christian lives their lives based on who God is. I live my life as a result of who he is. And because I know who he is, I know who I am. So that's what I want to break out because, I mean, if you think about all the questions we have, you meet somebody and they're like, oh, hey, what's your name? What do you do? How much do you weigh? Um, what do you, I mean, there's just so many questions. And we even like, what, what do I make? What do you make? Where do you work? What is your profession? What, uh, you're graduating high school. What are you going to do with your life? Uh, what are you going to do now? What's your marriage status? What's your social status? What is your, and there's all of these what questions. And so our lives are naturally this kind of performance-oriented living, that everything we do, that nobody actually asks like, so what's your personality like? <laughs> nobody ever asked you that question because it's always a what. Everything is judged by what we can see, what you're doing, what you're not doing. And for us, if what we're doing doesn't seem to measure up, then it, we feel like part of us, our who doesn't matter, our who lost value because there's so much in what we're doing is what I'm doing making a difference instead of is who I am making a difference. See, what we do jumps from place to place. I'm in here tonight. Usually when I'm at church, I'm teaching kids. That's what I do at church. What do I do at home? I clean my house all the time. I vacuum like every day. Um, what I do when we go rodeo, I warm up horses and wash them. What we do when I'm in the gym, I work out. What do I do when I go play basketball? I coach. What do I do when... And it, what I do changes from place to place, but who I am stays the same in each place, or should. And that's what we're gonna see here in just a minute. So I wanna look at Genesis 1.27 to start. Per I mean 1.26. Sorry, I messed that up. Genesis 1.26. Perfect. And it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And that's where I wanna stop in that verse. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And I looked up the word image because we are all created in the image of God. And we hear that verse over and over and over. I'm made in God's image. I'm made in God's image. I'm made in God's image. But then we look around and we're like, everybody's made in God's image and none of us look alike. But we're all made in the image of God. So what does that even mean? The word image means we are made with his reason, with his intellect, with his personality, we relate, we hear, we speak, and we see how he does. And I'll read that again for those of you that are taking notes. By the way, this is a great night to take notes. So like phone a friend and get some paper if you need some because we're gonna go through 10 things that are really, really cool. Um, so image is reason, intellect, personality, 
We relate, hear, speak, and see how God sees and how, and how God does. The characteristics of God are on the inside of us. Okay, that is amazing to me when I read that because I go, gosh, do I reason like God reasons? Do I have the wisdom of God? What is his personality even like if I'm supposed to have his personality? Do I relate to people? Do I hear? Do I speak? And do I see as God does? And there's a whole list, but... So then I ask, you know, how do I, how do I even know that? Because we look at the, you know, just like the, the blue book of Christians that we talk nice and we think nice and we're nice to people to their face. And we, we go through just the list of Christian living. I work hard because I'm sure that's what Jesus said I'm supposed to do. And I tithe because that's what the Bible says. And I, and there's all these things that we do because the Bible says to do them. But when it says we're made in the image of God, it did not say um, tithe like God tithes, um, speak nice like God speaks nice. It didn't say, I mean, it says we have the mind of Christ later on in the Bible, but it was talking about the deeper issues. And the only way for us to find those is to know who he is, to know the character of him, to hang out with him. You cannot have my personality if you don't hang out with me. You don't know how I would respond. You can't see the world how I see the world if you don't hang out with me. You won't hear how I hear if you don't hang out with me. And if we don't have that hangout time with God, then we can never accomplish what he said, even though he already put that in us. We already made in his image. And so I heard a quote this week that said, um, well, there was a quote on Pinterest that said, life is not about discovering it, it's about creating it. And then I listened to a message and the whole message, they were contradicting the statement because they said, your life was already cre created. Your life was already established way before the world, way before you were ever in your mother's womb, your life was established. And so life is about discovering it. God has already put it in you, but it's from the inside of us. When we know God, then he reveals who we are. And so from the inside, it's already there. It's just gonna come out and all this will make sense as we go. But instead, we spend so much of life trying to figure out what we're supposed to be. We try to create who we're supposed to be based on these outward actions. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. But then we're labeled by what happens out here too. So inside, in the image of God, he never said I was a failure, but I failed at this outward thing. So now I label myself as a failure. Do we see how that works? That was never inside of us. And so let's look at the 10 characteristics of a what Christian. And then we're gonna, we'll go and kind of look like, we'll look at one characteristic of a what Christian and then we'll look at the who Christian that contradicts that. Okay, so a what Christian will never have enough. They seek God's provision, but they never know him as their provider. I'll read that one more time. A what Christian will never have enough. They seek God's provision, but never know him as their provider. And the story I want to use here, I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but the story of the Israelites, okay? They come out of Egypt. God parts the Red Sea. Well, first of all, there was all the plagues. Like they had already seen a ton of miracles take place. Then God parts the Red Sea. Then they're in the desert. Okay, in the desert, they literally live. It's like crisis to crisis mode, right? And that's what this what Christian that will never have enough, we live crisis to crisis because God's either providing or he's not providing. So we freak out when he's not providing and then he provides again. And then we freak out when he doesn't provide and then we, we're happy again. And then we freak out when he doesn't provide. And that's exactly what the Israelites 
were doing is that they didn't have food. They freaked out. God had food. Then they freaked out again because they didn't have water. God supplied water. Here was my question with that, because sometimes that is preached a little backwards, like because of their whining, God answered them. Okay, no, God knew beforehand what he had prepared for them. God already knew what was going to be provided to them. It wasn't because of their whining that this stuff actually happened. It wasn't like, well, whine a little bit and then I'll part the Red Sea. I just want to see how afraid I can get you like right before you get killed um, and I'll part it for you. That's not God. Like, you know, this like, he's playing this video game. Like how close can they get this time? That's not how it happened. He knew ahead of time that he was gonna part the Red Sea. He knew ahead of time that they were gonna have manna. He knew ahead of time that there was gonna be water from the rock. He knew ahead of time everything that was going to happen, God already knew, already knew. But instead of living in that security, knowing God's gonna provide for me, God's going, no. It's like, ah, we're out of manna. Is everybody else out of manna? We're out of manna. Of course, everybody's out of manna because you couldn't eat yesterday's manna today. So everybody's out of manna and we're freaking out. Then there's, no man then there's more, then we're fine. Then we're out again, but now we don't have anything to drink. Now we don't know where we're going. Now we don't know, but it's crisis to crisis to crisis. They never had enough. But here's what God was trying to reveal, and I've never seen this before. The entire time they were in the wilderness, God was trying to reveal his character to them. He was trying to reveal, hey, I want you to see who I am, not just what I can provide for you. I want you to see who I am. I don't want you to see just the man of this, the man of that. Don't just document the miracles and miss who I am behind the miracles. Don't miss who your provider is. Know your provider. Don't just count on the provision. And I thought toward myself, I'm like, we do that so much where we live breakthrough to breakthrough. Really, it's crisis to crisis. And then there's breakthroughs in between. But we think our freaking out somehow has God send manna from heaven. It doesn't help. He already knows what he's going to provide for you. He already knew before the foundations of the world. He knew what he had for your life, what he had in store for your life. But we freak out. That's where the enemy wants to keep us because we don't have a relationship with him to know, no, I serve a faithful God. My God is my provider. My God is my protection. I know his character and therefore I have no reason to freak out. And the Israelites couldn't grasp that. They missed knowing their God. The entire time they were in the wilderness, they missed knowing who he was because they were so focused on what he did. Let's not miss that. And so in our lives, let's look at this, and we're, we're gonna resort to the Israelites just a couple times in here, but they saw miracle after miracle. God was trying to reveal, I am faithful. I have provided for you ahead of time. I have a plan for you. I'm gonna take care of you. And they missed every time. They missed the who behind the what. And so then let's go on. Oh, well, we'll look at the opposite of that. So of a who Christian, number one for a who Christian is a who Christian will have more than enough because they know the who behind their what. They know that God is a faithful provider and they steward all that he has given them and they steward all that he's given them. So a who Christian will have more than enough, a what Christian will never have enough. Number two, a what Christian will have experience, but not encounter. A what Christian will have experience, but not encounter. And we're gonna look at the story of the Israelites to explain that here. Did the, did the Israelites experience God? 
Yes or no? Yes, right? Okay, they gave, he gave them stuff over and over and over and over, okay? All of us that are in church tonight are getting something from God. When we do our devotion, we are getting something from God. We can listen to a test. We can go around the room and go, uh, everybody in here, just give me a quick testimony. We can hear the experience that someone else is having with God. We can see the experiences of God. We can see God move in different places. They experienced what God could do for them. But what they didn't do is they didn't encounter the life God had for them in the promised land. They never got a step over into that promised land because they lived from experience to experience, but they never encountered. How many of us will go, well, yeah, I mean, a, a testimony is like, what God's doing in your life right now? Like, what? God's always moving if we let him. And so if we're having a, li a live relationship with God, then I should be able to go, Jamie, so what'd God do for you today? And it should be like, well, let me tell you what he did. It was this and this and this because I was praying and I saw this happen and I saw him move in this way. But so many of us are like, well, um, 12 and a half years ago, I had this ankle injury and God healed my ankle injury. So did he die between 12 years ago and now? Like what happened? Where did he go, Marco? And that's how we, that's how we act with God is it's like, oh yeah, that one time God did move. You're right, you're right. He did move in my life. God moves all the time. It says that he, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, which means he's always there. He's ever present, okay? And that he is working in our lives every time we give him the opportunity. We just have to position ourselves to see it. We just have to position, and that's what this is all about, is it what Christian or not. But the Israelites, because they saw experience, 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 but they never knew him, they never got to walk in the full life. They never encountered the life that he wanted them to live. And that blows my mind because I'm like, oh my gosh, how much do we miss out on? Because, and so I wanna explain this really quick and how it relates to us. If it looks like it, the Old Testament is a foreshadow of kind of what's happening in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, when it's in the story of the Israelites, when it's talking about Egypt, that's our life with sin, okay? So that represents, you know, before Jesus died on the cross, where we were, okay? Because the blood of Jesus is what took sin away, okay? So we have Egypt in that sin. They put the blood on the doorpost, represents salvation, okay? Moses came. Now this represents the shadow of, hey, this is a real life story of what's gonna happen down here. So they put the blood on the doorpost, representing the blood of Jesus that would be years and years and years later, okay? So now there's salvation. So for us, this is, I lived a life of sin. Now there's salvation. And then when they cross the Red Sea, um, it can be studied out uh, several different ways, um, but one representation of it is that it represents water baptism. So they walk through, okay? So there's the parting of the Red Sea. Now they're in the wilderness. And this is where a lot of us can either get stuck or we step into the fullness of God. Okay, they're in the wilderness. It was not supposed to take 40 years. It was a very short journey. And if you think about our Christian walk, it's like, okay, I'm saved Okay, I'm gonna do, okay, there's, there's water baptism. Okay, now I'm taking the next step. What is our next step? To know God, right? To have a relationship with Jesus. Our next step is to go, who are you? Who have you created me to be? I want to discover the life that you've had for me. I wanna discover who you've created me to be. That's our next step. But we can get stuck like the Israelites right here, where instead of going, who are you? Who have you created me to be? and seeing and knowing him for who he is, 
that we just get stuck in the, okay, I'm safe, so what can you do for me? Life's supposed to be better now. So can you take care of this situation for me? Can you take care of my finances? Can you take care of my marriage? Can you take care of my kids? Can you take care of this? Can you take care of that? And God's like, yeah, I already had that plan, but I wanted you to know me. Because if you know me, then you can walk in the fullness of life that I have established for you. But when you're just living blessing to blessing, and when you're just living based on what I can do to what I can do to what I can do, you miss the who in between, and then you're never empowered to live the life I had for you. And so then we never walk in the fullness of who I, Shelby never gets to walk in the fullness of who God created Shelby to be because I solely rely on what God can do, circumstance to circumstance, and I never walk in the fullness of who he is. And so then my life is lived based on when God shows up instead of, no, I am who I am because of who he is. And that's what they missed. And so that's the kind of the foreshadowing of what that even represents and where we can get stuck so easily. So number two on a who Christian is a who Christian lives a result of consistently encountering God. Lives as a result of consistently encountering God. See, Jesus, even when he walked the earth, Jesus had to go away and pray. There were several times throughout it, he's like, He's down here ministering and then he goes and prays. He's down here ministering and then he goes and prays. Okay, it was important for him to have an encounter with his father in order to accomplish what he needed to accomplish here on earth, right? So for us, it's the same way that a who Christian goes, I need my who so that I can be who I'm supposed to be. And that's how we're called to live the same way. So a who Christian lives as a result of constantly encountering God. Okay, Number three, a what Christian will always allow their what to be bigger than their who. A what Christian will always allow their what to be bigger than their who. Because they never knew who was with them. The what in their promised land kept them from entering. Okay, what happened there in in Numbers is that the Israelites are finally to the point where they can cross into the promised land. They, they send the spies out. The spies come back. And two of them said, yeah, let's do this. Two of them said, we got this. This is no problem. The rest of them said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we can possess the promised land. Okay, the ironic thing is, is it was the promised land. God already promised it to them. God already said, this is yours. Just go possess it. And he does the same thing for us that this life that we see in the word that we're like, wow, the promises of God, they're so amazing. And he says, they're yours, just go possess them. But we're like, I don't really know how that would come true because I looked at my bank account this morning and this really isn't making sense how this can be a promise. And that's how how we react to the promises of God. God says that I'm healed, but (coughs) the flu is going around. God says that my marriage is supposed to, my God says that my kids, that God says that, and it, situation to situation to situation, but yet we have the promises. God says, just go possess them. But because we're so focused on what isn't, on what he's not doing, on what I don't see, we forget to rely on who he is. And so then we never see the promise come to pass. When they entered the promised land, they saw the giants and they said, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't possess the land. How many of us have stopped short from a promised land because we're like, I know God said that's what I can have, but I, it, it looks too big. It looks like there's just gonna be too much warfare to get there. I don't know how I'd ever be able to accomplish that. 
God already promised it to us, but that's a mistake of just focusing on the what. What can't get me there instead of the who that backs me, the who that already told me that I can possess that land. And so number, number three for, it was number three, right? Yeah. Number three for a who Christian. A who Christian knows who is inside of them is bigger than any what they can face. First John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And then if you look at Philippians 4, 13, a scripture that's constantly, constantly quoted, but it says, I can do all things. Does anybody know the next line? Through Christ, right? Through Christ who strengthens me or through Christ that gives me strength. It doesn't say, well, God said you can do all things. We wish you the best. It says, I can do all things through Christ meaning a life submitted to Christ, meaning God in me. I can do all things through Christ Jesus, through who he has created me to be, through who he is, not in my own strength. I can't do all things in my own strength. I can do all things through Christ, surrender to Christ and who he is. And so that's number three of a who Christian. And then number four of a what Christian. A what Christian will measure God's plan according to their own strength, Logic, ability, timing, and understanding. A what Christian will measure God's plan according to their strength, logic, ability, timing, and understanding. See, God's plans don't make sense to our natural heads, to our fleshly minds, to our, they don't make sense. But spiritually, it says that I'm made in the image of God. And when we just read the word image, I have the wisdom of God. And so I may not always have understanding, but the Bible never said that I needed understanding. It said that I needed to trust him. But when we're so focused on the what here, when it says that we'll measure, so God has a plan for me and I'm measuring it according to my logic, well, that doesn't make sense. God, what you said doesn't make sense to what I think, to what I believe, to what I see, to how I feel. This doesn't make sense to me because it's a what. We're not looking at it through the eyes of a who. Because when we look at it through eyes of the who, then there's David who shows up on the scene when there's a Goliath sitting there. And he knew everywhere, David was the same everywhere. It said he was a man after God's own heart, that David was a worshiper. If David was at home, he's worshiping. If he was in the palace, he was worshiping. If he was in the field, he's worshiping. If he was on the scene to show up when Goliath is there, he's still worshiping God. Because his who was greater than his what. And I have to tell you a quick side note there. I taught this in class the other day about worship and we were talking about David, that he worshiped everywhere he was. And I asked everybody, I said, so why did David worship in the field? And my nephew says, well, think about it, Aunt Shelp. Nobody knew where he was. He didn't have anybody to tell. So he thought he might as well tell God where he was in case he got lost. And I was like, that's brilliant. You are correct. (laughs) I loved it because I'm like, well, I don't tell God where I am all the time. Maybe it's a good idea. (laughs) But David was a worshiper. David, his who was so much bigger than his what. So he shows up and sees, who does he think he is talking about my God that way? Does he know my God? Like somebody should warn the dude, he's about to die. And that's not how we confront crises in our life. Like we're like, do you know who you're fighting? 
Like, do you know what's about to happen to you? Like, my God will take you out. He's already won. But we don't confront him that way. We confront him like everybody else. Like, oh, what are we going to do? Not even all of us can feed this. I don't even know how to handle this situation. We're freaking out. Not David. David showed up and was like, I know who my God is. And I know who he's created me to be. And I know that my slingshot can do nothing in my own strength, but I know that God's given it to me for a reason and I'm gonna use it against the enemy. Okay, we have that same power inside of us that we can show up on the scene and go, no, because I know who God is and I know who I am, what he's put in my hand can defeat what I'm facing right now. But we don't live that way because we're so focused on our what. We're so focused on our logic that this doesn't make sense, God. Abraham is another example, but Abraham on the opposite side, that Abraham was like, your timing isn't making any sense. I'm gonna do it my own way. And we saw what happened. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man and it's in his death. That's not comforting, but there is a way that seems right to us. But outside of knowing our who, then we only can rely on what we know. Instead, we could be relying on who we know and who he's created us to be. So that was number, number four. So number four of a who Christian, number four of a who Christian is submitted to God's plan regardless of how it looks. A who Christian is submitted to God's plan regardless of how it looks. Number five, a what Christian lives outside in. A what Christian lives outside in. A what Christian will live and go, okay, I know I'm a Christian. And we're all guilty of this. And I've caught myself, this message was so convicting to me that I go, I will live different from this day forward because of the revelation that I got in this message. But it's natural for us to go, okay, I need to change this habit. I need to change this thing in my life. I need to change this situation. And so naturally we go, if I fix the way I talk, Outwardly, I'm just gonna be conscious of how I talk outwardly. Then it's gonna, then I'll just never have a meltdown again. I'll, I'll never yell again. I'll never cuss again. I'll never, I just gotta change the way I talk. And so outwardly, we fix it. Outwardly, we fix it. Outwardly, we fix it. But the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We never, we never just dealt with what's on the inside. We never replaced it with the word of God. We've just fixed it. You guys seen Emperor's New Groove? Like, bad llama. That's how we treat ourselves. Like, <laughs> bad job. Okay. Did it again. But we fix it on the outside. We take because it's an outward habit, we think that we need to fix it outwardly. And God's going, no, let's take care of what's inside. And then that'll result in an outward change. We got to fix what's in here. We can't get saved outwardly. We cannot get saved. We cannot go to heaven outwardly. It's what takes place in our heart that gets us to heaven. And so God designed us that way, that what is in here is so much more important than what is out here. But it's so easy for us to focus out here because that's what we can do in our strength. That's how I can solve this. That's how I can fix it. And then there's also this awesome Christian pride thing that's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, so I got this. I'm gonna deal with it myself. God's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. Linda, if your name's Linda, I'm really sorry I wasn't yelling at you. Um, <laughs> but that's not how God created us to be. God didn't create us to live outside in. He created us to live inside out. And so number five on a who Christian is a who Christian lives inside out. 
a who Christian lives inside out. It says that man looks at the outer appearance and God looks at the heart. And then in Matthew 15, eight, it says, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I never wanna be that, that I go, I, I can say all the right words. I can come to a worship service. I can pray all the right things to God, but my heart was never transformed by the power of God. My heart was never ministered to on who God has created me to be. Number six, a what Christian will view and respond to people how they view themselves. A what Christian will view and respond to people how they view themselves. Why? Because I judge myself based on what I do. If I don't spend time in prayer, then I'm like, gosh, I'm so mad at myself. I'm critical of myself. I'm judgmental of how I look. I'm judgmental of how I talk. I'm judgmental of all these things on me. And so then naturally, if we don't love ourselves, there's no way we can love people. And so we, it says love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. So if I don't love me, I can't love people. If I'm critical of myself, I'm gonna be critical of people. If I'm judgmental of myself, I'm gonna be judgmental towards people. If I'm unforgiving of myself, then I'm unforgiving towards people. And so a what Christian will view and respond to people how they view themselves. What they look like, they judge on actions, and how they perform. A who Christian, let's get the right number here, number six. A who Christian will view and respond people how God views them. A who Christian will view and respond to people how God views them. Why is there that transformation? Because when I see God for who he is, he reveals to me who I am. And I know that there's no way that I can be that outside of God. And so because my heart was transformed and I can see who God created me to be, then I can love and respond to other people how God created them to be. That I don't see them based on actions. I don't see them based on hurt. I don't see them as a result of all these things. I see them based on a result of who God told me I am. And that's how we see people. So a who Christian will see and respond to people how God views them. Number seven, a what Christian will read the word for self-help, knowledge, information, and use it as a weapon against people. A what Christian will read the word for self-help, knowledge, information, and use it as a weapon against it against people. Why? Because what can the word do to me? What is this really saying? I'm, I'm looking at it in my own understanding. What can this word do? And so then I judge everybody around me according to what the word just said. I know the word. I know the word inside and out. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to know the word. I can have the whole Bible memorized and it not get into my heart. And it doesn't make a difference. I can't live any different, but a what Christian will use it. And they'll use it as a self-help. Like, uh, I'm struggling with this. I better just go to the word. And that's not a bad thing except for there's like hundreds of self-help books. So the Bible will only be one of them on your list. So a what Christian will look to it as self-help, information, knowledge, and will use it as a weapon against people. Whereas a who Christian will read the word for relationship and use it as a weapon against the enemy. A who Christian will read the word for a relationship and use it as a weapon against the enemy. See, the word's created there so that we can see who God is. See, the Bible isn't about us, it's about God. And sometimes we forget that. And we're like, oh, it's this book for me and only me. The Bible isn't 
about us. The Bible is about God. And so if we took that word and we read it to go, God, I want to deepen my relationship with you. I want to know who you are. I want to know who you've created me to be. I don't want to read it in a way of top 10 ways for a Christian to act. Okay, the Bible's like not a Pinterest board. We like pin these, like marriage, children, food. Except there's usually not. It's usually telling you not to eat. That's kind of a bummer. I skipped that section. No board in my Bible on food. Um, but there's all these boards that we try to create in our Bible because it's all these just these self-help things for what can it do for me instead of I'm reading the word God because I wanna know who you are. I would, I would challenge you guys, every story you read this week, every the scripture you read this week, every devotion that you do this week, write down the characteristics of God revealed in that story. It'll rock your world. Write down who is God in this story. Because sometimes we just read it for what I can get out of it. Sometimes we just read it for, oh, I can't wait to tell so-and-so that. That's how we read it. You laugh, but it's so true, okay? But instead of, I want to read the word to know who you are. I want to read this word so that I can have a better relationship with you. That's what the word was meant to be. And then we use it as a weapon against the enemy. We don't use it as a weapon against people. The word was never meant to be a weapon against people. It was meant to be a weapon against the enemy. Number, oh man, I moved over to the same page. How exciting. Number eight, a what Christian will have standards based on what environment they're in? A what Christian will have standards based on what environment they're in? Our standard is the word of God unless we're with our non-churchy friends. I'm at church, I'm this way. But then if I'm at this group of friends and I'm this way, and then with I'm at this, why? Because there's no deep-rooted conviction because we were never, we've never established who we are in Christ. We've never established who God is. And so there's our honor and our dishonor is like breaking or not breaking the rules. Like, oh, I'll just apologize later. It will be fine. And so then we act different. We talk different about different groups of people. We're at this job and we can talk this way because we know who we're about. And then we can go to Walmart and we can act this way. But then we're at church, we know how to act at church. And then when we go over here, we know how to act here. And when we're at home, we can talk this way because nobody actually knows how I talk to my wife or to my husband because, well, we live in a house by ourselves. And so I can do what I want. But when I'm at church, we love each other, even though we fought the whole way here. And my kids, I talk to them how I want at home. But in public, we just... Sima. And so that's how we, that's how we react is that my standards are based on the environment you're in and the people that I'm around. Whereas a who Christian, a who Christian will have unwavering standards based on who is on the inside of them instead of what environment they're in. A who Christian will have unwavering standards based on who is on the inside of them instead of what environment they're in. And it says, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, a new creation. All things have become new. Old things have passed away. It says to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Okay, that's what the word says that we have power to do. When Jesus comes to live on the inside of us, when we know who he created us to be, I no longer have to try to act good. I am good because my God said I'm good. I no longer have to like, because there's this conviction that goes, no, I'm not gonna talk that way. Because when you develop a relationship with somebody, there's an honor that you have for that person. Person. And there's no longer this, well, they'll get over it. And that's how we feel sometimes. With God. He'll get over it. I'll apologize later. And we don't maybe say that, but that's really our attitude because I can act how I want. 
But when there's an honor for our God, you know, I'm not gonna talk that way because I honor my God, because I honor who he is in me, because I have more honor for him than I, I do the people here, that I will respect my God and I'll stay firm in my standards that I have set. And so a who Christian, just wanna read that again, has unwavering standards based on who is on the inside of them instead of what environment they're in. Number nine, a what Christian proclaims the word, but doesn't practice the word. A what Christian proclaims the word, but doesn't practice the word. Okay, who in here agrees that the word of God is important to your Christian life? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody in here agrees that the word of God. Now I'm not gonna have you raise your hand on the second question. How many of you will un, like, you will read the word every single day. You are in the word, you are in prayer every single day. Don't raise your hand, that's, that's embarrassing. Because it's important, to, I'm serious. Because it's important to read the word and that's, it's not like, oh, my phone reminds me every day. No, how many of us have it important enough to go, I create space every single day because I'm gonna spend time with my God, because I'm gonna deepen the relationship with my God. How many of us in here, don't raise your hand, would say, that's me every single day. That is one thing that I do not let go lax. If I have to move anything else, I will, but I do not miss time with my God. But everybody in here will say that it's important to survive Christian life or life in general. So that's what I mean by this, is that a what Christian proclaims the word, but doesn't practice the word. They'll tell you churches are important. My personal favorite are um, dads that will tell their kids church is important, but they don't come. So church is important. We preach to our kids, this is right and this is wrong. We show them something different. We say it to the people around us, this is important. We just hope they're not in one of the standard lowering environments that we are at the same time. And it's true. And I know this is a challenging message and it challenged me, but at the same time, we gotta go to a new level with our relationship with Christ if we're ever gonna see the fullness of God in our lives. And so are we living double standards? We can quote scripture, congratulations. That does not mean you're living it. And so is church important? Is the prayer life important? Is the word important? Is worship in your home important? Yeah, all those things are very important. Is managing our finances important? Is being a steward of what God's given us important? Yeah, we'll say that, but there's always an excuse not to. I don't know how many people I will talk to over and over and over, and it's all these problems, all these problems, all these problems, how's your prayer life? Well, I know I should have one, but let me tell you my schedule. It doesn't look like it's helping your cause. I give, I'm just honest. Your schedule's not helping your situation out at all. If it's supposed to be a prayer life, supposed to be a prayer life, but there's no prayer life. Because we don't wanna create space, and we don't wanna walk out the word because there's always an excuse not to. I'll just live crisis to crisis. So we practice. So you can probably guess the other one. A who Christian walks out the word and practices it, proclaiming through action. Bible says to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. We hear things every Sunday. And this has been a challenge to me even in the new year that I go, I don't wanna just hear a good message on Sunday morning and go, gosh, that's good stuff and take notes and study it out that week and never apply it to my life. I feel like nobody that stands up here in this pulpit ever speaks something that's their own. Like tonight with Shelby, we're gonna talk about Shelby's feelings about life. That's not this. 
This is time and time and time, sprint and prayer. They gotta go, I know this is a message from God. I know every person that stands up here spends hours in prayer going, I know this is a word from heaven. And so I feel like if God showed up to speak to me, it would be important and be worth listening to and worth applying. It would be, if God showed up in this room and said, this is the word I have for you, everybody would be like, and we would apply it instantly. But we hear the word week in and week out. We read the word week in and week out, but it's never applied to our lives. And then we wonder where God is. We wonder why he's not working in our marriage. We wonder, and we're convicted about it. We know, but we don't apply it. And so a who Christian practices, or a, uh, yeah, a who Christian practices the word and walks it out in their day-to-day lives. Number, are we on 10? Sweet. Okay, this one was my favorite. I got a phenomenal revelation on this. A what Christian, and I'll explain this in just a minute. A what Christian knows what Jesus died for, knows that Jesus died, but will never experience the power of who he is in them. A what Christian knows what Jesus died for, that he died on the cross for them, but will never experience the power of who he is in them. Okay, let me explain that. Because I know that's like, hmm, that's an interesting point. This was a huge revelation to me, like a life-changing revelation for me. Um, And it actually came up a few weeks ago because we've been talking in in our classrooms. We've been really teaching the kids on worship and we've been really teaching them on identity. And that's been our two focuses in all our classrooms. And every time you ask the question, why do you worship? The answer is because he died for us. Because he took all our sins away. Because he died for us. Because he took all our sins away. Because he died for us. Because he took all our sins away. Because he loves us. And that's bothered me the last couple of weeks and I couldn't figure out why. Cause I'm like, that doesn't, it seems like an answer. It doesn't seem like why I would spend my life worshiping. It just seems like an answer. And so that's bugged me. And today I feel like I got the answer to that because that's another what Jesus did. It's another what he did. There were three people that died on the cross that day. Three of them. The difference in Jesus is who he was. It wasn't what he did. And we can live our lives as a response that, oh, I do this because he died for me, because he laid down his life for me, I will do another what and lay my life down for him. Because he died for me, I will die to these areas of my life. And it becomes another what, it becomes another thing that we can do in our own strength. Three people died on the cross, one in the middle made a difference and it was because of who he was, not what he did. Three of them did it, not just one. And that's the revelation I want us to grab tonight, that it's not just what Jesus accomplished for us, but who Jesus was and the fact that who he was died for us can now live on the inside of me. What was he? He is peace. He is freedom. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is forgiving. He is our healer. He is our protector. Who that is now lives on the inside of me. What he did made no difference. And I don't mean that mean at all. That sounded really bad. It did make a difference, but it was because of who he was, not just what happened. And that's the grab, that's the revelation I want us to grab that a who Christian recognizes who died for them. Not just the name Jesus, but who is Jesus? The the topic of this whole message of going who is he? Who died for me that day? 
Peace died for me that day. Joy died for me that day. Strength died for me that day. Comfort died for me that day. Healing died for me that day. Who really died for me and now who is really inside of me? Because we live our lives as a result to the cross and I had a second part of that I wanted to read. So a what Christian wants to identify with what died with Jesus but not rise to the standard of what now lives inside of me. A what Christian wants to identify with what died with Jesus, but not rise to the standard of what now lives on the inside of me. So a what Christian goes, yeah, Jesus took my sins away. Jesus wiped my slate clean. Jesus made it so that I don't have to go to hell. And that's where we want to live. That's where we want to stay, but we don't want to rise to the standard to go, but now I know what lives on the inside of me and I'm accountable to who that is because I know who he is and I know who he's created to me and now I can live my life up here instead of down here. I can believe different. I can see different. I can respond different because of who lives on the inside of me, because of who died for me, not just what he took away. And so a what Christian will abuse grace? A what Christian will always have a reason to say, I'll repent for that later. I know I should enough, but I'll just repent for it later. I know that I should live this way, but I'll repent afterwards. A what Christian, because what they saw was what Jesus did gave me this, another what that I can use. A what Christian will use a what. And so I know it's not supposed to be this way but he gave me grace, so now I'm gonna use grace. And that's what a what Christian, whereas a who Christian, a who Christian knows the power of the cross came from who died, not in what happened. A who Christian rises to the standard of who lives on the inside and walks in righteousness because of the power of grace. Now that's not to say we won't make mistakes. We will always, we all sin and fall in short. See, but here's the thing is that God has empowered us. He gave us the gift of grace so that we can walk in righteousness, not so that we can walk how we want and get out of jail free card. And that's where a what Christian and a who Christian have it confused. A who will say, no, God gave me grace so I can forgive when I didn't think I could forgive. God gave me grace so I can quit this when I didn't think I could quit. God gave me grace so I can be the wife or the husband that he says I can be and I don't have an excuse not to. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. He's already put it on the inside of us. Who his word says that we are, we are. It's already there. We just have to activate it by seeking who he is, where it's not what I can do in my own strength. Because we take the word and go, God says I can be a good wife. God says I can be a good husband. And so now I'm gonna try to apply it and I'm gonna try to talk nice and I'm gonna be honorable and I'm gonna, no. Honor isn't what I do, honor is who I am. Purity isn't what I do, purity is who I am forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't something that I have access to. I am forgiven. It's who I am. I respond with peace because peace is who I am. Joy is who I am. And that's who God created us to be. And if we would grab hold of that revelation, that it is not just another thing that happened, another thing that we can attain in our own strength, but it is actually who we are. I will not someday attain this. It's already there. It's already on the inside of me. And so I wanna make this, I just have a couple more quotes here before we, we close. But when we started 2019, and this was a little bit convicting to me as well as I was praying through this, I went, ah. So 2019, we always make our New Year's resolutions, right? 
what we want to be different about our life, what we want to accomplish in 2019, where we want to see God move in 2019, what we want God to take away from our lives, what we want, all of it is, is a what. Everything on the list was a what. But this is the thing. God is not a part of our story. We are a part of his. And if we looked at our New Year's resolutions, it looks like we're trying to have God play a part in what we want to accomplish for the year. Instead of asking God, hey God, what do you want to accomplish in 2019? What are your resolutions in my life for 2019? How can I become a part and play the part that I'm supposed to be in your story in 2019? What do I need to get rid of? What do, and you've already given me the power to be able to get through that and to walk in that. But instead it's, God, I want you to do this. God, I want you to do this. I want to see you move here. And they're all good things and they're good prayers and they're good things to quit and good things to start. But it's not who we are. It's another thing we're doing. And so therefore, like three weeks into it, I used to, I went to school for exercise science. So I've managed a couple gyms and it is um, amazing because January 1st is the biggest gym day that the gym will ever have. January 1st. Everybody signs up for memberships. And so that's why when you go to the gym and you get super irritated because it's like you can only sign up for three months or you can only sign up for a month, you can't do the day-to-day -day thing. That's why they do it, especially in January because we want all your money on the first day. We know you're gonna quit and not come. So we gotta make up for the rest of the year. <laughs> like that's seriously the truth. Like that's how it works because it's a new year's resolution that we're gonna try to complete. And I'm, I'm all for new year's resolution. I'm all for bettering yourself. I don't want you guys to think that. But it's another thing that we're gonna try to complete, but we're gonna quit. But how many New Year's resolutions, if you looked back at all your resolutions, how many of them have been completed and how many of them repeat year to year to year to year to year to year? Okay, the Bible says that he who has started a good thing in you is faithful to complete it. That's what the word says about our God. And so for us, I go, I'm a part of God's story. Am I playing my part or am I expecting him to play a part in mine? And that was a convicting question and that was a hard question to go, have I done that? Because I had it backwards. This was Shelby's life and God was supposed to do his, do his deal in, in Shelby's life, but it, it's not meant to be that way. That we're a part of his story. And so in 2019, what I would challenge all of us to do is go, God, where do you want me a part of your story? Who Shelby is, is supposed to be a part of this story. Who can I be? Who, who you've created me to be? Who you've placed me around? What job you've placed me in? Who you've created me to be? What can I accomplish? But it's the who first. If you look through the Bible, because, and that's what naturally what we do, we go, well, David did what? Tell me, David did what? Killed Goliath. Man, guys, the kids are so much louder. I'm gonna bring them in here next time. Um, <laughs> Gideon did what? Oh my. Guys, guys, okay. David killed Goliath. Yeah, all right, we're on the same page, okay. Gideon defeated an enemy with like crazy odds. He had 300 men, okay. Samson defeated everybody with a jawbone. Super cool story, okay? Abraham, Abraham was the father of many nations. Okay, and I can go on and on and on and on. We know who Paul is in the New Testament. Okay, we go on and on and on. If you read the beginning of all those stories, God never tells them what they're supposed to do until he tells them who they are. 
He never tells them what they're supposed to accomplish until he tells them who they are. And we always want God to tell us, what are we gonna do in life, God? Am I gonna kill a giant or am I gonna get swallowed by a fish? Because I kind of feel like my attitude would get swallowed by a fish, but I'd really like to kill a giant, right? That's how we, we see the stories of the Bible and we wanna know what part we play. God, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to accomplish? What, 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 what? And God goes, you don't even know who you are. You don't even know who you are. So back to our charades game at the beginning, Oren has never been a firefighter. He knew how to act like one real well. You all guessed it, you were all fooled. You were like professional firefighter right there, okay? That's how we live out our Christianity, professional Christians all around. So what fires have you fought? What encounters have you had with Christ? Tell me, who is your God? We can tell him what he does, because the Bible tells us, it's like a cheat sheet. Well, let me tell you what he did in 16 AD. <laughs> okay, we have that down. Who is he to you? I was gonna have you to start right down. What has God done in your life? Because we can write all kinds of stuff down. Who is God in your life? Who is God in your life? Because then it changes, because you're like, uh, my credit card? I mean, no, God, the Bible. We confuse it because our source gets mixed up when it's who. But then the what, we're like, oh, God did all kinds of things, let me tell you. But our who gets mixed up. And then we do the same things with ourselves. What have I accomplished? We can write the list. Who am I? Depends on the day. Depends on where I am. But who I am should be the same across the board because who I am is a result of who he is, which means my character should line with Christ. So when it says that we're made in his image, that's what it means when we are made in the image of God. So God always establishes the who before the what. So how do we do this? We create space for God to speak to our lives. We spend time in worship, we spend time in prayer, and we spend time in the word. The things that we know, the things that we're not doing. That's how we find our who. When we read the word, we don't do it to get information. We do it because I wanna know who you are. And if you are faithful to the Israelites, you're faithful to me. And if you're their provider, then you're my provider. And if you're their healer, then you're my healer. If you're their protector, then you're my protector. If you never left them, you'll never leave me because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if they are fearfully and wonderfully made, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If they can be strong and have good courage, then I can be strong and have good courage. And if they don't have to fear, I don't have to fear because that's who God is. And so. I don't act fearless, I am fearless, it's who I am. I don't act courageous, and some of us need to look at that and go and tell yourself who you are, because it's already on the inside of you, God already put it there. I just wanna make sure I didn't miss anything in my notes here. Our lives cannot be transformed until Jesus is the center of it. The loudest voice in your life will tell you who you are. The loudest voice in your life will tell you who you are. And I love this one, our attention gives power to access in our lives. Our attention gives power to access our lives. What does that mean? 
if my attention is always focused on my past, then I've given it the power to, to access my life and wreak havoc. If my attention is always on what's going wrong, then I've given the wrong things power to access my life. If my attention is always on who betrayed me, then I've given that thing power. If my attention is always on my lack, then I've given that thing power. But if my attention is on Jesus, then I've given him power to my life as well. And so where is our attention? Will you stand with me?